0: So last week, we talked about the, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I wanted to continue that discussion. Um, and in the process, I also want to discuss the situation that's going on in Ferguson. And, and the relationship, actually there's no apparent relationship between the text and that situation, although if you look at the principles... Some of the principles we can see in this passage, I think they are relevant. And that's the way we need to read our Bible. We need to read our Bible in such a way that we're thinking, how does this apply to my life? How does this apply to my world? How does this apply to my my actions in my community? And uh, we can, and I do it too, we can read our Bibles in such a way that it's cut off from our life. You know what I'm saying? Um, so... It's important to me that we think biblically about things, especially things like the Ferguson situation. And one of the reasons is that situation is so volatile. Um, as you know, the, I think the non-indictment is going to come out. Some people say today, some tomorrow, some Wednesday, some soon. And there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of concern about what is going to happen. <clears throat> And um, whether we like it or not, we're part of that situation. Um, And as I've said before, the eyes of the nation and in some ways parts of the world are on Ferguson. And because of that, that gives us a unique opportunity to be witnesses for Christ. Um, What Ferguson needs... Is Jesus? That's ultimately, ultimately, I believe Jesus actually has the solution for the problems that's plaguing many of our communities, including Ferguson. I believe that, um, but those solutions are communicated to various communities through the body of Christ, because we are His hands, we are His arms, we are His we are His mouth. Right, so. If people are going to see Jesus, they're going to see Jesus in and through us, his body. So, it's important that we think and act in a way that is honoring to the Lord Jesus in this situation. So, uh, we we looked at this passage last last week. Let's look at it again. I'm going to show you a video in a little bit. Um. So let's proceed. Okay, Matthew, excuse me, Luke 10. It says in, in verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So then Jesus says, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he answered, he who showed mercy or compassion on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Now, we looked at a number of things in this text last week. I won't review those. um, But I want to make a few more observations, especially in light of the current situation. The first thing is this. This parable has stereotypes in it. You know what a stereotype is? Yeah. A stereotype is a generalization, right? It's a generalization. Now, so Jesus uses the priest and the Levite as the bad guys, right? And he uses the Samaritan as the good guy. Now, if you're going to tell a parable, you have to use stereotypes. You have to use generalities. Otherwise, you have to name individuals, Right? Uh, so in Jesus' teaching, you'll see these various stereotypes. He'll say you know, here's a parable. A certain rich man had a feast or a certain rich man had you know barns and everything. So he's using a stereotype, a generality. And generalities are legitimate, but they're only legitimate to a degree. Let me, let me try to explain what I mean. Um, I actually think men and women are different. Okay. Now, some of you younger people are like, really? No. Um, because the, the distinctions between genders is being obliterated in our culture, right? Uh, me, me and my daughter Lydia were having this conversation the other day because she's a, uh, she, she's a sex educator for Thrive, and um, so she's supposed to be an expert. And I was reading this article... Um, <laughs> So I was reading this article about transgender versus transsexual, and in and, 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 and this one, this footnote at the bottom of the article, it's, it referred to trans, transgender, transsexual, and pansexual. And I look at Lydia and I say, what the heck is pansexual? It's like, I don't know. I'm like, you're the expert. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's like, we've obliterated these distinctions. And certain groups get very angry when you use any kind of generalities about gender. Um, I remember when I was younger hearing people say things about men, and I'd, be, I'd I, it would bother me because I'd feel like, well, that doesn't fit me. Um, but here's the thing. Generalities are, stereotypes are useful in certain discussions. Because certain things can generally be true about a group. And that's just the way it is. Men tend to have certain characteristics. Women tend to have others. Now, the key word there is they tend to. And within that group, you have this this great variety. And very often, you also have exceptions to the rule. But all of that has to be kept in mind when you talk about a group or a stereotype. Okay, Because Jesus is not saying in this parable that every priest is heartless. He's not saying every Levite is a bad person. That's not his point. He's using the, these stereotypes to communicate a point. But it would be wrong to conclude from this teaching that every... Uh, Pharisee was an evil person. Now, Jesus says some hard things about the Pharisees. And even in my own preaching, I've referred to the Pharisees in general terms because they're a type, if you will. They illustrate certain things as a group, but they're actually good Pharisees. Nicodemus came to Jesus seeking the truth, right? So Jesus gave him the truth about the new birth. When Jesus died uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a priest and a rich man, sought Jesus' body. So he was a good man, right? So um, we need to be careful in, in first, of all, first of all, in our reading of Scripture about stereotyping, and and um, but we also need to be careful in our thinking about people, and it's it's. Very common today, because we live in a very polarized society, to think in terms of groups and stereotypes. Whether it's male, female, black, white, rich, poor, white-collar, blue-collar. And these kind of stereotypes can be helpful, but they can also be um, harmful. Because what happens is, when we think only in terms of stereotypes... We lose, are you listening? This is the key point about stereotypes. We lose the individual in the group. That's what happens. And it's not just a question of, is, is so-and-so an exception to the rule? But, but God, what God does, God talks in generalities in His Word. For God's health of the world, well, that's a big group. Right? But then you see Jesus do things in in like in like uh, the book of John after he healed the blind man and the blind man is before the Sanhedrin and they're they're um, uh, questioning him and really attacking him and he's like I didn't do anything I just got healed you know um, after this this they basically cast him out of the synagogue it says that Jesus went and found him so Jesus. Even though he loves the world, and even in that group, there's, a, there's, there's another group called the church that he loves, and that he's, he's made his bride. Even, so there's a large group, then there's a smaller group, but even within the smaller group, there's each individual. And God loves the world, but that means nothing if God doesn't love the individual. Because God doesn't love categories. He loves people and this is the problem in much of the discussion about race in our in in our culture is that we we look at graphs and we look at numbers and we look at analysis and all of that and some of it's good and accurate but what we forget and we do this in the pro life movement too you know we talk about abortions and the number of abortions and all this is that we're talking about people they were talking about real people. So, in the pro-life movement, when we talk about 4,000 abortions a day, we're talking about real people that died. You get it? We're not talking about statistics. We use statistics to communicate a truth, and we speak in generalities, but hidden in the generalities and in the, in the, in the stereotypes, there are individual people represented by those numbers. So when you hear the talking heads on the news talk about, you know, crime in our cities and, and black-on-black violence and this and that, and then you see the charts and the diagrams and, well, we're going to compare the blacks to the whites on this thing and we're going to do all this. There's there's wisdom to be gained from that if you look at it right. But the, the danger is we look at the numbers, we make... We make stereotypical judgments based upon those numbers and forget th- these numbers represent real people trying to live their lives. Yeah. So, even though using stereotypes in one sense is legitimate, Jesus does it. He doesn't do it, though, to dishonor the individual or even the group. In this passage, Jesus was doing it to teach the the priests and the Levites something, okay, that they were missing. Um so that's my first point, stereotypes. My second point is is something we miss in this text is the issue of race. The issue of race. Now Jesus, here's how Jesus should have done the parable. Ready? No. He, he, here's what Jesus could have done if he didn't want to upset people. He would have he would have used three people. He, he could have used the priest, the Levite, and the Jew. That's what you would have expected. And I think that's what his audience was expecting when they're listening. Sorry, okay, a priest. You know, some of these guys were priests, sure or they were probably already annoyed as soon as the priest was the bad guy. Right? Um, but you would have expected... A Jew. But he doesn't pick a Jew. He picks a Samaritan. Now, one of the things that we learned last week is that the, the Jews had a profound hatred for Gentiles. I mean, the Jews of this time, now, there's a generality, the Jews, right? As if there were no exceptions. There were exceptions. But the point is, as a general rule, they were racist, They didn't like Gentiles, and that's probably putting it mildly. And we we, we have this recorded in secular history. um, Roman historians talk about the Jews' hatred for non-Jews. But even worse was their hatred for Samaritans. Because Samaritans were like traitors, you know what I mean? Those are the the people you hate the worst, right? The traitors. And they were half-Jew and Gentile. Which made them mongrels, and so they despise them. Um, hold your place in Luke here, and go to John for a moment. In John four, this is the Jesus talking to the woman at the well, who was a Samaritan woman. In John four verse seven, it says a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." where his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, that the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then John's comment is, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I mean, we just read over that. I mean, but what you have to understand is that they have no dealings because they hate them. You understand? And they hate them because of their race. And they hate them because of their religion. They hate them. So Jesus could have made his journey and not gone through Samaria. And he chose to go through Samaria. All right, And he chose to talk to a Samaritan woman. Which no respectable Jew would have done. So Jesus is touching on something here Um here and in, in back in, in Luke, in our parable, uh, about a problem in the Jewish community of his day of racism. And we just read it today, and that the whole race issue goes over our heads because we're not aware of what was going on in the culture. So when Jesus uses the Samaritan as the good guy, wow. You get what I'm saying? I mean, this would be like a couple hundred years ago, a preachers in the south, and he and he and he tells the story, and it's kind of like, well, there was a a white preacher who went down the road and saw a man and walked by, and there was a white uh, worship leader that went down the road and he saw a man and walked by, and then there was a black man who walked along. Well, you wouldn't make the black guy the hero, or we could retell it this way, we could say something like. An American evangelical pastor walked down the road, <laughs> saw a man lying there, walked by. An American evangelical worship leader walked down the road, walked by the other side. But a Muslim walked up, saw the man, took him out, put him in the end. Do you get my point? See, the... the What I'm trying to get you to see just a little bit is how this must have sounded to his audience. When we think of the good guys and the bad guys, I don't put a Muslim in the good guy category. Do you? Why? Because we're thinking stereotypically, right? We've got the category all figured out. Muslims are bad, they kill people. Muslims are bad, they blow up cars. Well, some Muslims do. But not all Muslims. As a matter of fact, my my reading of what's going on in the in the Muslim community is the radicals are turning the younger generation to Christianity. The younger generation does I mean, do you want to be ruled by people that blow up cars? No, think about it. Do you want to be governed by people that walk into houses of worship with machine guns and kill people? They don't want that. Islam at this point is its own worst enemy. The radicals are destroying Islam. And many, many, many Muslims, really, people that grow up in Muslim countries but are just kind of, yeah, I'm Muslim, like a lot of people in America, yeah, I'm a Christian, whatever, you know. That kind of Islam, they're turning to Christ. But we we have an image you know we have an image we have a stereotypical image of Islam in, in the Muslim world based upon news and the stat or that's that stat. you get what I'm saying but uh, so when Jesus you know told the story and he used the Samaritan as the good guy he was he was overturning tables he was overturning tables here and he was he was addressing the issue of racism in the Jewish community by using the Samaritan as the good guy. You know, there's a reason that that the, the Pharisees, again, a group, there were exceptions, but they they didn't like just like they weren't annoyed at Jesus. They hated him. I mean, you get what I'm saying? They hated him so much. They killed him. Why? Because he put his finger on things like this. Okay? He was brave enough to say, hey, guess what, guys? This this your attitude toward the Samaritans is wrong. And so he made the Samaritan a good guy, and he made him look at their their hatred in their heart for different groups, Gentiles, Samaritans, while they were being religious and being pious and being good Jews, right? So, um, this of course is very relevant to the current situation in Ferguson, because a lot of the discussion that's going on is about race, and... Um, I think the way many white people think about race is stereotypical and not nuanced enough to the realities on the ground, and so what happens is we often we lose the individual in the group. You get what I'm saying? You lose the individual in the group. Um, Jesus in this passage is is trying to teach us the nature of mercy, right? But he's also teaching us something even more profound than that. Because if you remember the original question, the original question was, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Then Jesus says, how do you read the law? The answer is, he quotes the Shema, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus even quotes those very words in Matthew, when he was asked, what's, you know, what's the deal? What's really important? The first commandment, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and all the prophets. In other words, all God's commands can be summed up in these two things. But the thing we have to understand is these two things are linked together. Okay? And, this, and this is the thing the Pharisees missed. This is the thing that we often miss. But I think Jesus is trying to bring this out in this story. As I pointed out last week, he used the priests and Levi because they were religious representatives. They were going from Jericho to Jerusalem because Jericho housed priests who would come to Jerusalem and do their, their service. They would go back and they would live in Jericho. Okay. So these people were, were dedicated, pious, committed to their religion, but they were severing... Love for God from love for man. Okay, it's very easy to do. I do it too. I think we all do it. Um, I like reading my Bible and praying and worship and church. I-, I could spend all day here with you guys. Well, some of you guys don't skip. No, it's awesome. Isn't it great to be here? I mean, it's just awesome. But then I have to go out there, and there's a the real world. And before I get home, somebody cut me off in traffic. And I'm going to go, Rrr. You get what I'm saying? I mean, you know, the worship has to, worship, real worship, if it's true, it, it, it changes us in such a way that it affects how we live when we're not worshiping. Yeah. Yes. Right? It translates into acts of compassion, acts of love, acts of justice. And if you read the Old Testament, you read the prophets, God repeatedly says to Israel, you're worshiping me, but the way you treat people is not so good. Now, that's putting it very nicely. (laughs) Because the prophets put it really, really pretty hard, like, hey, there's blood on your hands, so why are you lifting your hands up to me? I mean, hard words from the prophets. But the point is, our worship and our and the way we treat people are linked. And we cannot separate them. And so, I've read m- many commentators on this passage as I was preparing, and many, several of them said, you know, the, the point of this parable is to teach the true nature of charity. Or the true nature of, of compassion. And I don't think that's what it is. I think... It's the true nature of faith. Meaning the point isn't just to teach us about compassion, but to show us that but that mercy and compassion must be connected to our love for God. If we profess to love God and do not love people, then there's something wrong. Okay. John even puts it more bluntly than that. When he says, the man that says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. Okay? So, um, Jesus is trying to teach us about compassion and empathy, and he's trying to get us to see that it's linked to our relationship with God. Our relationship with others is linked to our relationship with God. Um, So I think... One of the things we need to do to be compassionate is we need to learn empathy, which is really a, a, an aspect of compassion. What I mean by empathy is is empathy means you have to stop and try to enter in to the situation. Okay. Um, I referred to the pro life movement. The, there are. Pro-life groups who have a very stereotypical view of what's going on in the culture. And any woman that gets an abortion is doing it for purely selfish reasons. And I've heard Christians say that. Um, But if you're actually on the ground, like my wife is, if you're talking to the girls and women that walk into the clinics... What you find out, that is not at all what's going on. Now, in some cases, that's what's going on. In some cases, just plain old selfishness. But there was a girl that came in recently, 14 years old. Still sucking her thumb. No parents, no support group, except for one woman who was her aunt, who basically functioned like her mother. She's scared to death. She has no, you know, no job, no husband, no anything. And um, abortion was the solution. To make a long story short, by the grace of God, she decided not to get an abortion. But do you realize the courage that took? I mean, do you realize that when a a girl that's 16 or 17 is pregnant, doesn't, and her her mom and dad are saying get an abortion, her boyfriend saying get an abortion, everybody saying get an abortion? Do you know how much moral courage it would take to say no to that? I remember Hannah working with uh, some gal years ago where she worked and kind of confided in Hannah that she was pregnant, and Hannah's like, well, you know, you go talk to your parents. And she's like, no, my parents would kill me if they knew I was pregnant. I have to get an abortion. And sadly, she got an abortion. But it wasn't a simple matter of, hey, I'm just living the free life, I'm having sex, and I'm getting rid of the consequences. It wasn't that simple at all. You understand what I'm saying? Because if she had gone to her parents and her parents had supported her, she probably wouldn't have gotten the abortion. And what we have found is that many of the women who come into the clinic, the Thrive Clinic, who are abortion-minded, change their minds when they know that there's help for them. When they know they're not alone. But still, many, many pro-lifers have this very, very stereotypical attitude that women get abortions, they're selfish, and, and that's kind of... It's all that... It's really that simple and that tidy. It's not that simple. Life isn't that simple. Okay. And for every statistic you hear, there's a person. Okay? Um, the, same way, the same applies to the issue of race. When we hear statistics about uh, crime in black communities or Latino communities, and we hear all these things, remember, those statistics represent people. And when you see people in a community like Ferguson, for example, who are protesting, did you know that there are protests all over the world right now? And if you read to Keep Up With the World News, there's a lot of protests going on. Are you aware of the protests that have been going on in China? Massive makes Ferguson look like nothing. I mean massive protests. And I don't hear any evangelicals criticizing them. There's massive protests in the Ukraine because of what's going on over there. And I don't hear any evangelicals criticizing them. But when blacks protest in Ferguson... Well, then all of a sudden, what are they doing protesting? Let me tell you this. As a general rule, people don't protest and burn down buildings because they got nothing better to do. And what I mean by that is people have reasons. Now, you don't have to agree with their reason. You don't even have to agree with their, not only their reason, but how they act out what they're doing. Because of their reason. But we need to learn to listen a little better. You, you hearing me? Yes. We need to learn to realize that there's reasons for what people do. Now, you don't have to agree with it, as I said. But we have to realize that, you know, just saying, oh, well, that's what black people do. That's what Latinos do. That's what Chinese do. Well, that's what the Russians do. And that's just That is so, like, non-biblical thinking. That's not how we're supposed to think about these things. People have reasons for what they do. Sometimes good reasons, sometimes bad reasons. But if we're going to be a people that are compassionate, and this is what Jesus is encouraging us to do, if we love God, we need to love our neighbor. Amen? Amen. Part of loving our neighbor is learning to listen to our neighbor. That's really important. So I want to play this video clip, and then I'm going to wrap it up. This is uh, Tabithi. He is uh, a well-known author. I've interviewed him before, wrote a number of books. Uh, he's got some great insight. Amen to that. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> One of the reasons I wanted to show you that clip is the uh, really the last... Well, he said a lot of good things, right? But the, the, the important thing to me is the... the um, what he said about listening, um, and how that confers dignity on people. You know what I'm saying? And so the uh, the um, you know, as we think about the, the, this parable of the good Samaritan, the person who, who who in the parable conferred dignity on the man lying in the road, well, the Samaritan, right? Um, he stopped. He invested. He took his own money. He put him on his own. Um, He didn't prejudge. He didn't assume. And I think it's very important for us, as things unfold, um, this, this situation at Ferguson isn't going to go away. Now, at some point it will calm down, but it won't go away. Um, but I think it's a teaching moment for a lot of us. A lot of us who uh, did not grow up poor, did not grow up as a minority, um, did not grow up dealing with violence around us. We we can we we need to learn to listen, okay? Because just because it's not my story, it doesn't mean it isn't their story. Um. And and the value of of listening is that it, as uh, the B.D. said, is it confers dignity on people. Okay. And this is what God does. Do you ever notice in the Bible that God asks questions? Right after the fall, he comes to the garden. What does he say? He asks a question. Adam, where are you? He invites us to talk to him. Because he'll listen to us. That's how we need to be. We need to to be saying to people in that community, "Um, talk to me. I'll listen. When we read things, uh, when we we watch the news or we read things on blogs, we need to be listening. Now, listening is hard to do. Anybody that's married knows this is hard to do, right? (laughs) Because generally, the way most of us listen is, before the person's even done speaking, we have our answer ready. That's not listening. Listening means listening, okay? And so, in this situation, we need to listen. Now, here's what I here's what I fear. I fear is going to happen. I fear that there'll be a non-indictment. No, I don't fear that, but I fear well, there's going to be. Much unrest in the community. There may be some violence. There may be some looting. And what I fear about that, I mean, I feel sorry for that community. I I genuinely uh, care about the people who are dealing with that. But I also care about something else. It's even bigger. And that's the, the response of the body of Christ. And so what I fear will happen is because there's going to be some unrest and because some people... Not all people, but because some people will act violently, the the white evangelical church will just say, There they go again. There they go again and they just write the whole thing off. There's nothing to discuss, you see, because they're looting. But see, we're not listening. We're not listening. The, the, in no way is violence or looting or anything, it, it is never permissible. But it can be understandable. You understand the difference? You don't have to condone an act to understand why it occurred. I want us to understand what's going on. And the problem is with many of us, and I'm saying this because I'm going to make a comment about you all on Facebook and Twitter. Don't, don't run out on me now. Is that we're thinking of this as Darren Wilson versus Michael Brown. That's not what this is about. When, when a non-indictment comes down, which is what I'm assuming, a bunch of white evangelicals are going to go out in the streets and celebrate. And to me, that's a crying shame. Because they're they're not listening. They're not listening to what's going on here. Okay, so um, we need to listen to people that are on the ground there. We need to we need to be willing to do a little reading, as as the beanie said. We need to uh, learn a little bit about our history. Okay, and we need to be a lot more sensitive to the realities of the African-American community, which is, uh, I have African-American neighbors, okay? I mean, this isn't something that's like on the other side of the world, right? And so, um, I've seen too many uh, Facebook posts and Twitter posts which are, um, at best, ignorant, ignorant, at worst, heartless. And Jesus, in this parable, is certainly rebuking the Pharisees for being heartless. Right? Because he's teaching them compassion, the opposite of show mercy to people. Right? We need to communicate that and how we respond. And I say, we, when we respond, I mean the stuff you're saying on Facebook the stuff you're saying on Twitter, the stuff you're saying in conversations at work and at school, because we are witnesses for Jesus. We are witnesses for Jesus. And listen, when you are sitting at home, typing on your laptop, on Facebook, you are witnessing for Jesus. The world is your stage. So the question is, what are you saying to the world? What are you communicating to the world about Jesus Christ? That's the thing we need to think about. And some of the things I've seen are not a good testimony to Jesus Christ. Because I don't think they reflect his heart of compassion. Um, I think one of the things we do, and I'm going to wrap it up. I'm sorry I'm going long. That happens when I don't have my notes. That happens all the time, even when I do have my notes actually. Um, is that we 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 can we can be selective about our compassion. And what I mean by that is I'll be compassionate for somebody if their problems are if they if, if I if I'm convinced convinced that they're really, 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 really a victim, I'll have compassion on them. But if they've contributed to their own suffering in any way, by their own stupidity, then I won't have compassion on them. And, and and you see it a lot, because people say, well, it's their own fault. Never said that? You probably have. Well, it's their own fault. I mean, do you realize that most of the suffering we experience is our own fault? As much as we want to think we're victims, in reality, a lot of the things we suffer are our own fault. When God came to Adam in the garden, he tried to blame Eve. he blamed her. It was her own fault. <laughs> but that, God would say, oh, well, since it's your own fault. Of course it's our own fault. It's called sin. It's called folly. I mean, yeah, okay. So, the love of God is constrained in you because someone's stupid? Yikes. Um... So you know, we we, we need to. I'm actually more concerned about what the church is going to do and say or not do, than I than I am about what the committee of Ferguson is going to do. Because I'm a, my fear is that we are going to be such a bad witness for Jesus, because we'll just say heartless, terrible things on the Internet and Twitter and, you know, degrade people in that community and, uh, I mean, just, you know what? Maybe you should just take some time off. Get off Facebook, get off Twitter. That's a nice way of saying, why don't you shut up for a while? (laughs) I mean, Really? I mean, we all have opinions, but a lot of our opinions aren't that informed. And I'm guilty too, okay? I'm guilty too. So, um, I just want you to understand that uh, as the world looks at the situation, um, we need to represent Jesus Christ. Even if that's simply giving your opinion on Facebook, you need to represent Jesus Christ. There's much more that we can do. Our worship team has gone into Ferguson and, and um, there are people here that uh, want to be on the ground. Uh, we can pray. There's things that we can do. But at least let's not, let's not be a bad witness. You hearing me? Okay. You guys are the cool side, so I, I need the more amens over here. I just want you to notice I'm, the microphone's on this side. And I did that on purpose because I knew the cool people were on this side. Now, next week, I might have to put it on this side. You don't want that to happen. All right, so, you know, let's not take a white side and a black side, a rich side and a poor side. Let's take the Lord's side. Amen? Let's stand together. Lord, we um, want to thank you that... Uh, You do not abandon us in our folly and our sin. And even though we have uh, sinned against you so many times, um, you continue to pursue us and love us. We thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that our worship of you and our love for you would be translated into um, love and concern for those around us, our neighbor, our church, uh, the community of Ferguson, um, this, uh, so many ways that we can really shine the light of Jesus. And I pray that we would do that. And I pray that we'd be conscious, Lord, um, there's no day off from being a Christian. There's no time of the day when I'm not representing you. And I pray that you'd impress that upon each of us in what we do and what we say and how we live. Jesus, we thank you that you are the good Samaritan. You are the one that was hated. You were the outcast, but you were the rescuer. And we thank you that you've reached out to rescue us. Help us to join you as you continue to rescue others. I pray this in your name. Amen. Through the shedding of your blood, laying out of your life for us, Lord, as we sing this and worship you, I pray that our worship and our lives would agree. That we love not only you, but our neighbor. I pray that this love that we sing about, Lord, would be manifest in our life, in our relationships, in our families, in our church, and in our community. We pray all this ultimately, Jesus, for your glory alone. Amen.